We finished last week covering the intercessory prayers of the church, if you remember. Last week we looked at the meaning of all those prayers that we're to lift up together, even though the priest is praying them, the prayers for the whole state of Christ's church. And these prayers include prayers for the church to become one and dwell in unity, prayers for civil leaders to impart the true justice and protection of God to the people in their land, prayers for the spiritual leaders of the church, prayers for all the church to truly receive the Word of God, Jesus Christ, into their lives, prayers for those in need, prayers for those who have gone before us because the church is one body. And we talked a little bit about when we look at these prayers in the Mass that we're to carry these prayers into our lives. These are the very intercessory prayers that we join Jesus Christ in praying on behalf of all. So we take them into our daily walk. You know what? We may not pray every subject every day, but we pray for the church and its unity. We pray for the spiritual leaders of the church, the civil leaders of our land, and so on and so forth. And after the prayers for the state of the whole church... We do our general confession. We receive absolution and then we hear the comfortable words through Jesus Christ and His apostles. And if you remember correctly, in the announcement that precedes the general confession, it gives us the very framework of what a true confession before God is. How to posture oneself. And I can't go over that again today. But again, we do have them online. Every teaching has been online that you can go to. And so we end up, after the comfortable words, now entering into another stage of our ascent. Remember from the very beginning, in the first week that I began this series, The Mass in Our Life in Christ, I had on that board a drawing of kind of a mountain shape. And we read scriptures in the Old Testament such as, Come, let us go to the mountain. All of them having to do with the the journey through Mass is our starting from where we are and working with the grace of God as we ascend and ascend and finally reach that peak communion with Him through Eucharist. And then we take all that we have received from Him back out into the world that God may be glorified and the gospel may go forth to the healing of souls and the redemption of humanity. Okay? And we take another step forward today. Having heard the comfortable words, we come to something called the Sursum Corda. And this is on page 24. Okay? If you're not there. So having received the cleansing and empowering work of Christ through confession and absolution, the general confession and absolution, we move on to the sursum corda, which means what? Anybody know? The lifting up of our hearts. Remember in Latin, when you see sursum corda, it always talks about the first words that are about to come next. Alright? And that's what we're going to see. And once again, at another critical point in the Mass, we have the exchange between the priest and the people. The Lord be with you. And the people respond, and with thy spirit. It is an exchange both bringing our minds to a reality as well as asking for grace to live from that reality. And what reality? What grace? The reality that as we have gathered and met with heaven and earth, God is with us. 
God is dwelling among us and we with Him. And we need His grace to live from that reality to do what we are about to be called upon to do. Remember, every time we see the Lord be with you and with thy spirit, we're moving to something new. If you look at it, that statement, the prayer by the priest saying the Lord, and blessing, not just a prayer, the blessing, the Lord be with you. And you sang with thy spirit, we are empowered, we are asking for God to empower us all by grace to do what we are about to be called to do. And here's what we're about to be called to do. Lift our hearts together as one body up to the Lord. And we're asking for grace to do that act. And we're going to explore the meaning of that act today. Listen to what Father Michael Kaiser teaches about in, in his book, Offering the Lamb, about this. <clears throat> this exchange, the Lord be with you, at this point in the Mass. He writes, We are reminded of our unity in Christ time and time again in our worship when we share these words. The Lord be with you and with thy spirit. God's Spirit witnesses with our spirit that we are children of God and brothers and sisters of Christ. That's from Romans chapter 8. He continues, The church is more than just a family group. It is the presence of the kingdom of heaven here on earth. Christ's body extended in time and space, making connection between this fallen world and the heavenly realm. Remember what I talked about with the way that the Celtics put it, the early Celtic Christians talked about in mass, heaven and earth, the distance between the two becomes very thin. They call it a thin place. When the church worships God is a thin place between heaven and earth. And that's what Father Michael is reminding us of and what that exchange should remind us of. Father Alexander Schmemann writes this, The divine liturgy, the continual ascent, the lifting up of the church to heaven, to the throne of glory, to the unfading light and joy of the kingdom of God is the focus of this experience. Simultaneously, both its source and its presence, its gift and its fulfillment. And what he's telling us here is that somehow by the presence of God with us, as we all draw together both heaven and earth, we are both presenting ourselves to Him, and by His grace, we are becoming through that process something that we were not prior to the experience. Right? That's what Father Alexander Schmemann is reminding us of. So I want you to keep these truths in your mind to see what we're doing at this point in the Mass when we're called to lift up our hearts collectively up to the Lord. And so again, the priest says and prays, the Lord be with you and you respond with thy spirit. Normally the priest then says, let us pray, doesn't he? But he says something different. In this case, after that exchange and with thy spirit, the priest says, lift up your hearts. And he begins to raise his hands. What's happening here? What are we doing? Remember the words of Father Schmemann that you just heard. The divine liturgy, the continual ascent, the lifting up of the church to heaven. At this point in the Mass... 
The church on earth, even though it's made up of individual stones, that yes indeed, each one of you lift up your hearts before God as an offering to Him. It's true. But more than that is happening. Because like Paul says, though you were many pieces, you have now been made one loaf. So the reality is that as you each individually as living stones extend your hearts up to the Lord as an offering, we as the church are lifting our entire church, the parish, but even more than that. Because I want you to think about this. The sursum corda, the the exact words of the sursum corda, are in every orthodox liturgy. Eastern Rite, St. John Chrysostom, St. Basil, Western Rite, St. Gregory, and St. Tikhon. These words are exact. In every, and these words have been in all of the liturgies since the first recorded liturgy that we have, even St. James. So, think about this. Every Sunday that we gather, all around the world, the church is lifting her heart to God. By the grace of God. Not just the living stone. Not just our parish, but everywhere around the world and in heaven and earth, we lift our church, the church. We join together in that extension of offering up to God. Why does the church do this? Why has it been in every liturgy and continues to be? Because God Himself is the source of the existence and the experience of the kingdom of God. No joy, no true joy of the kingdom of God can be experienced unless the church and the Lord are one. Hmm? No peace can be obtained in the life of the church but by the experience of our oneness together with God. No salvation is possible but by the church being joined by grace to life Himself, our Lord. That's why we do this. And that's what we're doing when we lift up our hearts collectively to the Lord and receive Him in kind. And please remember that action. This action from this point through the rest of the Mass has got to remain with us understood as a foundational precept. And that's this. Remember when we went over the offertory? I even reminded us of this last week. Bread and wine... And the gifts and alms are lifted up to God. And it must be seen as a relational interaction between God and man. We lift up bread and wine, and in the very moment we do, He returns a gift of Himself to us. You see. We lift and make contact, He returns the gift of Himself to us. Well, now we're not just lifting simply the stuff of creation to Him. What are we lifting? Ourselves. We're lifting it up to God. <clears throat> so it is with the Sursum Corda. But this time, 
as we offer ourselves, each living stone yet collectively as one body by the Holy Spirit, He is offering Himself uh, life, His life, and our salvation. And so I want you to see it as an exchange. We lift up, He comes down, fills that moment. And so we say, lift up our hearts, and what is your response? We lift them up to we collectively, not I lift them up, right? We lift them up unto the Lord. And we see this lifting up in Holy Scripture. It has its basis in something we find in Scripture. Uh, These verses I'm going to read to you are somewhat the heartbeat of where this exchange comes from. And it comes from the book of Lamentations and chapter 3. I'll read it to you. There's a little pre-preliminary part here, but it's important for us to understand. Here are the verses. Through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed. Because His compassions fail not, they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore I hope in Him. The Lord is good to those who wait for Him, to the soul who seeks Him. It is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Let us search out and examine our ways and turn back to the Lord. Let us lift our hearts and hands to heaven. In those very verses, and is this not what we've been about in Mass all along so far and talking about? These verses speak about our need to seek out and our need to receive the mercy of God and His compassion which He so longs to give. It is the proclamation that even as we offer these things, we do so because there's only one thing that is the portion of our lives. There is only one that can satisfy us and bring us the fullness of life, and that is the Lord. And that's why the verse says, the Lord is my portion. And we posture ourselves as those waiting upon God, waiting upon Him for our salvation. He is the author and the finisher of our faith, not us. And so our posture is to lift ourselves before Him. And the heart posture of our lives is to wait upon Him and His salvation to come to us as that great unearned gift. I want you to think of a couple of things. We lift our hearts to Him. We lift our sinfulness... We lift our broken humanity, our wounds. We lift our post-fall of mankind frailty to Him. And it's as if we're crying out, Lord, exchange these things for Your wholeness. Exchange these things for Your holiness and righteousness. By Your healing touch, make us whole. Heal our wounds. Grant us Yourself in exchange for our weaknesses. And we're told in Holy Scripture that God is indeed the strength in the midst of our weaknesses. He doesn't wait for us to be strong. It's only by His grace that we become like Him and strong. So we, by the lifting up of our hearts, are obediently posturing ourselves for exactly what the Lord so longs to do. Heal us, redeem us, 
and give us life. So after the priest calls us to lift up our hearts and we respond by doing that, we lift them up to the Lord, this exchange in the Sursum Corda continues. Let us give thanks unto our Lord God, and the people respond, It is meet and right so to do. Now you think about all that we just said about what God's desired activity among us is. He asks us to lift ourselves to Him. He desires that as we do to heal us, redeem us, and make us something more like Him, bringing peace where there was once chaos. And so we turn our attention knowing what God's action is for us because our God is always for us. Let us give thanks to the Lord. It is meet and right. It is absolutely the most appropriate thing for us to be doing because of who God is, what He has done, and what He will do if we will but offer ourselves in our lives. Christ is in our midst. Heaven and earth are joined together. What can we do but give thanks? And by the way, what's the meaning of Eucharist again? The great thanksgiving. We're speaking the words of Eucharist. We give thanks. And so the priest calls us now to do so. The people come into agreement saying it's meet and right. And that concludes the Sursum Corda at that point. So let's talk about for just a moment before we move on in the Mass. The Sursum Corda and our life in Christ. Remember the action. In the Sursum Corda, we are lifting ourselves to God. He is coming and giving us Himself in exchange. Do you really think it's just for Mass? Or do you think it's for every moment of your existence? See, what the Sursum Corda is developing in us by the spiritual discipline and the grace we're given in the Mass is to leave from this place with the continual self-offering of ourselves to God. With the great anticipation, having experienced it in Mass, the great anticipation that every time we offer ourselves to God, He offers Himself to us, and we are changed, and we are transformed, and we are restored. Folks, that is the crux of our salvation. God moving towards man by grace and man rushing to rescue God out of love. That's salvation. That's the gospel. That's the good news the apostles preached. Hmm? Let us do that in our lives by the grace of God. So having concluded the Sursum Corda, we move towards what is known as the preface. Now the preface begins, as you heard, let us give thanks unto the Lord, it is meet and right so to do. The preface, by the way, are the words of thanksgiving that we offer that day. Now it happens to be offered by the priest. This is again a non-active participation on the part of the body. As the priest sings the preface of the day, we are to join Him in that great praise. Okay, 
Now the preface is structured in three parts, and they're not, they're not going to be in your book, because there's something that are in the Missal that the priest does, but I'm going to give them to you. The first and the third part of the preface make up what is called the common preface. And the common preface is done on days other than Sunday, days where there's not a particular saint celebrated necessary, uh, necessarily. Um, they're always the same. The part in the middle, the second part, is based on the season that we're in. So for example, right now we're in Trinity Tide. Focuses on the Holy Trinity and our life in the Holy Trinity. So I'm going to read you the first part, go all the way through it, but that's how the preface is set up. So here's how the preface begins. You all have just said, it is meet and right so to do. The priest continues, it is very meet, right, and our bounden duty that we should at all times and in all places give thanks to Thee, O Lord, Holy Father, Almighty, Everlasting God. That first portion is in every Mass. But listen to what it calls us to, because it doesn't just call us to offer praise in the Mass. It doesn't just say it's meet and right to offer praise right now. It says not only is it meet and right, it's our bounden duty to respond to God. Put the right back on us, Right back on us, exactly. It is our bounden duty that we should in Mass? No. It says that we should at all times and in all places give thanks to Thee, O Lord, Holy Father, Almighty, Everlasting God. We are to be a people as the church everywhere we exist to be a people that exude the praise and thanksgiving of God everywhere we go. Now I'm going to tell you, there's only one way that that's possible. You will not bear thanksgiving in your lives, in every place and at all times, if you don't live the life of self-offering to God, where you experience His offering back to you. We only give thanksgiving, not because of something we think about God. We give thanksgiving, true thanksgiving, true Eucharistic thanksgiving in our lives, only from that which we have experienced from God. The intellect won't get it done. It has to be the divine dance of our oneness in God and the experience thereof, our giving, His giving, that provokes out of us what's its meat and right and our bounden duty to be doing every day of our life. So then comes the middle portion of the preface. And again, this changes with every liturgical season. I'm going to read you the Trinity Tide one about the Holy Trinity. But we have a different one for what we're called Advent. has a different middle portion of the preface. Epiphany, Easter, the Easter season, Lent, and so on and so forth. But after I have said, O Lord, Holy Father, Almighty, Everlasting God... The preface in the middle with Holy Trinity is, Who, with Thine only begotten Son and the Holy Ghost, art one God, one Lord, in Trinity of persons and unity of substance. 
For that which we believe of Thy glory, O Father, the same we believe of the Son and of the Holy Ghost without any difference of any quality. We're singing the praises of the demonstration given to us of absolute love that's found in the Trinity. The Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, dwell in constant self-offering to one another. A self-offering of love. A serving one another in love. Of one will. Of one purpose. With only the, the desire to be glorified in all and through all. That's what we're praising God for in the preface during Trinity Tide. And then the praise of the preface is concluded with that third part I mentioned. So having praised God for the reality of the Trinity and the example of oneness it is to us, therefore with angels, therefore, since that's true is what we're saying, in response to that reality, therefore with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven, We laud and magnify Thy glorious name, evermore praising Thee and saying, if there was ever a reality given us in Mass to teach us what is really going on in Mass, did you just hear what we said? Therefore, not just in this parish, therefore we start with angels and archangels in our midst. Heaven and earth, are full of thy glory, I'm sorry, with angels and archangels, and with all the company of heaven, we praise you. We thank you. We glorify your name. Evermore praising thee and saying... Now, we're not stopping there. That does end the preface. But the praise continues and now you actively join back in because we have now moved from the preface to the Sanctus. Holy, holy, holy. So therefore with angels and archangels, all the company of heaven, we laud and magnify thy glorious name, evermore praising thee and saying with everyone, with heaven and earth, holy, holy, holy Lord God of hosts, Heaven and earth are full of Thy glory. Glory be to Thee, O Lord Most High. Blessed is He that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. You have just sung the song of the ages. You have sung a song that has been sung before creation, during creation, before the fall, after the fall before the coming of Christ, after His ascension, and will be sung for all eternity. And the Sanctus comes from a number of different places in Scripture. The first is Isaiah and chapter... See, the first part, we're going to break it down into two parts. Holy, holy, holy Lord God of hosts, heaven and earth are full of Thy glory. Glory be to Thee, O Lord Most High. This comes from both Isaiah 6 and Revelation 4. And I want to read these to you. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to allow what is sometimes so hard for us these days, because we watch too much TV. Use your imagination for just a moment. To picture 
the word painting in Holy Scripture of where holy, holy, holy comes from. Isaiah 6, so I begin in, chapter, in verse 3. Isaiah is given a vision of heaven. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of His robe filled the temple. Now above it stood a seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two He covered His face. With two He covered His feet. And with two He flew. And one cried to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. Now keep that picture. Remember we talk about the timelessness and consistency of heaven and the kingdom of God. Revelation chapter 4. Listen to the, That was the revelation that God gave Isaiah about his throne room, right? Now hear the revelation given to John about his throne room. It's from Revelation chapter 4. And I'm going to read this a little bit longer, but I want you to hang in there and picture this. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardius stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow about the throne in appearance like an emerald. Around the throne were twenty-four thrones, and on the thrones I saw twenty-four elders sitting clothed in white robes. And they had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne proceeded lightnings, thunderings, and voices, seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Before the throne there was a sea of glass, like a crystal. And in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures, full of eyes in front and back. The first living creature was like a lion, the second living creature a calf, the third like a man, the fourth like an eagle. Who are the four? The gospel writers. Pictured in our sanctuary in the same way. The four living creatures having six wings were full of eyes around within them. They do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Are you getting this incredible picture? Yes, we are enfleshed right now. But I believe wholeheartedly that God has given us everything physical in the Mass. From incense, we've talked about all this. The altar itself, the incense, the things we do, the things we say to embrace and be welcomed into this eternal reality. And that's where the first part of the Sanctus comes from. We sing with angels, archangels, all the company of heaven and all the church on earth. The song that's been sung before creation, Old Testament, New Testament, and will always be sung. Think about that next time you lift up those words. And know where you are. More importantly, know whose you are. Know who you belong to. Know the kingdom therein. 
That's where we are. That's where we are. Second part of the Sanctus. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. This is from Matthew 21. Where's this come from? Come on. Where's Hosanna in the highest come from? Huh? Okay, you know, absolutely. It is there. In Matthew 21, he's doing what? Entering into Jerusalem. What day is it? Palm Sunday. The people are gathered around with branches laying them down and singing this hymn. Let's take a look at this. They're singing, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is He that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. It was the very words of Christ's triumphant entry into Jerusalem. Now, I want stop. I can't think about this. We're talking about His triumphant entry into Jerusalem. And are we not at a point where we are lifting ourselves up to Him, anticipating His entrance into us? Right? In our midst. Right? That's what's going on. And why did Jesus Christ come into Jerusalem? Why did He go there? Come on, why did He go? To die. To die. Why though? For our sins. For our sins so that what? We would be redeemed and saved. He came into Jerusalem for the sake of our salvation. Hosanna, even though it's written in Greek in Matthew, it's a Hebrew word. Hosanna means save us. Blessed is He that comes in the name of the Lord. They were praising Him, but what were they crying out? Literally, save us. This is the cry of the Christian as we sing this part. Blessed is He that comes in the name of the Lord. Save us. We offer ourselves. Come save us. Come rescue us. We're here. We're here. There was an article I read this week on the origins of the Sanctus. <clears throat> now this gets me. Because I love the perfect order of God throughout eternity. And when I see these things, it just, it, it just astounds me. Because I'm not that ordered. Okay, But in this article, The Origins of the Sanctus, I was reminded through that writing that the Hosanna was used as part of the Jewish temple liturgy during the Feast of Tabernacles. When the priest, now get this, when the priest carried willow branches around the altar and all cried Hosanna while processing around the altar with their burnt offering, offering it up to God. In the Old Testament is the prefiguration of Christ's triumphant in what were they doing? Palm branches, the branches, laying them down and crying out, Save us. Who are they crying to? To the one who wasn't going to offer up some offering, but become the offering for them. To be the sacrifice. Indeed, to hear their call save us and to do just that. 
perfect one. The perfect one. The final one. Absolutely. And so this is what we are crying out to God. First, we worship Him as we posture ourselves, getting this glimpse of heaven on earth, crying out the hymn of the ages, and then blessed is He that comes in the name of the Lord. Come and save us, Lord, please, as we lift ourselves up to You. So next time that we meet, we will now move into the canon of the Mass, and it's in the canon of the Mass that you will see and we will go over all of those Eucharistic prayers, blessing and inviting God further to come down and bring us life. Again, save us in the means that He chose through bread and wine, His body and blood. Let's stand.